Well, I have us pretty close to getting ready. We need to get going. So we're going to be in Malachi chapter 1 tonight. And we're going to be looking at verses 6 to 14. And I think as we work our way through it, we're going to read the text. Well, let's just go ahead and read it. Starting at verse 6, here's what the text says. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You're presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you, or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure from my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it, in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its fruit is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring what is taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book of Malachi. It's in your inspired scriptures for a reason, and we know from the Apostle Paul that all scripture is profitable for us, and we learn from these passages things that you would have us learn and want us to know, so I pray that you would work through this text tonight and minister to us, and we will thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. There are many places of religious worship that actually think the goal of worship is to please the people. And they don't really think the goal of worship is to please God. So as a result of that, everything is done with the design of pleasing people in view. The thinking basically is, let's create an atmosphere for the seeker that's people-friendly. So we can have bands and coffee shops, and we can have light shows and dancing girls. In fact, there are many people that really believe that evangelism is the ultimate goal of the church. So whatever we need to do to get people to come through the door, that should become our marketing strategy. Well, the book of Malachi says that is wrong. The goal of the temple was not to evangelize the lost. It was to worship God in a right way so he would bless the people. And that really is the ultimate goal of the church. The ultimate goal of the church is to worship God and do that which pleases the Lord. And when people go to worship, they're not supposed to be first. 
When people go to worship, God is supposed to be first. Man is not the one who is supposed to be worshipped and praised. God is the one who's supposed to be worshipped and praised. In fact, when we finally get to the end of all things, people are going to fall down and worship God. They're not going to worship a man. The problem in many churches is that the leaders are not teaching the people that. And they are making people at church out to be more important than God. And it amazes me what is being called worship these days in many churches. I literally saw one church that featured men running up and down aisles of a church at full speed and then diving into the baptistry. And they called that worship. People were just clapping their hands. Another church featured a minister jumping up and down and yelling and throwing his tie into the audience. The people were singing and applauding. They called that worship. Another church featured a person yelling, God is good, he's goody, 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 and he's goody, goody all the time, and people were yelling and calling that worship. There are people that are going to these churches. There are people and there are ministers that are leading these churches, and they think it's just fine. What these leaders don't realize is God detests this kind of thing. He's going to hold these leaders highly accountable because, frankly, as you'll see in this text tonight, that kind of thing God classifies as evil. Now, the specific target of this text is the religious priest who had the responsibility to lead the people in the right ways of worship. The target here is the religious leaders. They were not leading people in the right direction, and God is going to hold them highly accountable. That's the point that really kicks off this book as we come to this first major section in the book after the opening of the book. And let's keep in our minds, God is not going to speak again to his people for the next nearly 450 years. And part of the reason why he's not going to speak to his people for the next 450 years is because of what these leaders did in worship. God's priestly leaders were not worshiping God in an acceptable way, and God was enraged by it. And he classified the worship as evil and as something that would prompt him to curse and not bless his own people. Now, I want you to understand this when we come to this book of Malachi. That temple in Jerusalem, that building was up. And you had religious stuff going on there every day. You need to understand this. We're talking about the religion is going. I mean, the building's up and people are going there doing what they were doing every single day. But there are three applications that we can make to this particular passage of Scripture. First of all, it is aimed at priests. And the application certainly would be for any minister who would be in a position and responsibility to lead a group. It also is an application you'll see to religious leaders that are in this context. There's an application to the people, to every single believer in the New Testament grace age, because every single believer in the New Testament grace age is considered to be a priest. But this primarily is aimed at a minister and at leaders. These religious leaders of Israel were leading the worship and leading the people straight into the judgment of God. They were leading the people in a direction in which God says, I'm not going to speak to you anymore. I'm not going to work with you anymore. And these are people that are real serious about their church, about the temple. They're serious about their worship. But they were not honoring the Lord. And these leaders were not teaching the people to reverence God. These leaders were not teaching people to give God their best. They're making a mockery of this stuff. So verse 6 starts it off. In verse 6, God says, A son honors his father, and a servant honors his master. 
God says, I'm the father, where's my honor? I'm the master, where's my respect? Now Israel is depicted here, and these priests are depicted here by God to be a son and depicted to be a servant. Last time we were together, we saw that God proved his love for Israel by his election. You'll recall that God said, I have loved you. And the people said, well, how have you loved you? And God said, because I chose you. There's proof of it. I elected you. What we learn here about election is that God's people are elected to sonship and God's people are also elected to service. The normal response for a son is to honor the parent and the normal response for the servant is to respect the master. These are two things that these priests had a responsibility to do themselves, and these are two things that these priests had a responsibility to see that the people did. They were to see to it that God and his word were honored, kabod, and they were to see that God and his word were respected, morah. The uh, word honor means they were to see to it that they were promoting that there's the ultimate value, ultimate worth belongs to the Lord. We're supposed to honor God at the highest possible level, view him as the highest possible valuable thing. The priests are supposed to be promoting that. And the word respect is one that is closely connected to reverence and fear in a positive sense. This respect is connected to fearing the Lord with a reverence for God that you turn away from evil. God says that's what you priests should be teaching the people. When people come to worship, they should be hearing this stuff. They should be being taught that you are to honor the Lord at the highest possible level. You are to respect the Lord. You are to fear the Lord. You are to worship the Lord out of reverence and awe. That wasn't happening. These leaders weren't promoting that. They weren't leading people in that direction at all. So God gives 10 charges against the priests and against the worship, which is part of the reason why they aren't going to hear from him for another 450 years when he's done with his book. The first charge is the priests have despised the name, God's name. That's what he says there in verse 6. He said, O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? And then you'll notice at the end of verse 7, the table of the Lord is despised. Three times in those two verses, God says, this is what you're doing. You're despising my name. And he uses a strong word here. For despise that he keeps repeating here, they continually had an attitude of contempt toward the name of God. They were treating God as something light. They were treating God as something at this place of worship. They were treating God as something insignificant and almost worthless. They were not taking the word of God seriously at this place. And these priests were the reason why they were not taking the word of God seriously. And when they were confronted with this, their response was, well, how have we despised your name? How have we defiled you? Here is the tragedy that can occur in people who are leading places of what they call worship. The tragedy is that you can actually get to the point where you're going through religious motions. You have no sensitivity to the conviction of God. You have no sensitivity to the word of God. You have no sensitivity to the will of God to the point that you're almost shocked that God would say, you aren't right with me. There's something wrong with you. 
These guys were shocked by this, which shows you how blind you can become in religion. You can become blinded to your own real spirituality. These guys had no reverence for God, and they themselves, they couldn't even see it. They were treating God lightly. They were treating God disrespectfully. They lost all sense of conviction. They were even doing it. They didn't even realize what they were doing at worship services was despicable in the sight of God. You see, here's what was happening here. These guys at church, these leaders are more interested in themselves than they are God and his word. So there's charge number one. You've despised my name. Charge number two, you are allowing people to give defective and defiled offerings. Verse seven, you're presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is despised, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? I want you to keep the context in view. You have a lot of action going on. We could say it this way in our modern culture. You have a lot of action going on at church, and you got a lot of people going to church. You have these people regularly going to their worship services. you got the priests, the leaders there, regularly leading worship services. What you have here is ritualistic hypocrisy. It was not the kind of worship that pleased the Lord. It angered God. These priests were sloppy, sloppy in what they were allowing to take place here. Sloppy in their worship, sloppy in the sacrifices. They allowed people to bring blind, lame, sick animals to worship and offer them. Now we learn from the book of Hebrews that these offerings and sacrifices were to be pure and they were to be unblemished because they depicted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It was unacceptable to God to look at his altar and to look at these priests who knew better and to see them bring blind, sick, lame animals to offer to the Lord in view of the fact that he was going to offer his own son. In fact, God says in verse 8, that is evil. That's evil. That's what he calls it in verse 8. They're not following the word of God in their offerings. The priests go to a lot of these offerings, and they went through a lot of offerings. They got food from the... They got a paycheck. I mean, a lot of these offerings went to them. The money and the food went to them. And as long as they got paid, they could care less what those offerings were. It's like, in my mind, you just put something you can donate to the church. We don't care who you are and where you come from and what you're given. We don't even care. There it is. It's on the website. Punch it and give it. That was their attitude. They were not following the word of God in these offerings. And what they lost sight of in verse 7 is, if you offered defiled offerings at my place of worship, you not only defile yourself, you're defiling that altar. God said, this whole thing's corrupt. So not only does... This means it's not acceptable to God. It demeans God. It angers God. They were showing so little regard that they had for God and his word by the sacrifices that they offered and by the food that they were serving at the altar. I mean, they just lost total sense of what was right. Now, I want to make 
a ministerial application from this before we move on. I believe that there are many ministers offering congregations defiled food. The responsibility given to the minister is that you carefully study the scriptures and you feed a flock. And you prepare meals that are worthy of a flock coming to eat. And there are many ministers, they don't do that. They don't care if they ever do that. They have their verse they'll read and They'll read their religious rituals and rules, and then they'll share some stories and pronounce a benediction, and everybody will go home. That's a defiled food. It doesn't mean anything to God, and it doesn't mean anything to the people. And it's not acceptable to the Lord. It's nothing but defiled. These priests were sacrificing defiled animals. They're eating defiled mood. I mean, they got their paycheck, just like ministers get their paychecks. But they're not doing the work that deserves it. And that's exactly what God is seeing here. He said, this stuff is evil. You see, God had given specific instructions concerning these defective sacrifices. I mean, in Exodus and Leviticus, part of the responsibility of that priest is you analyze that animal, you make sure it's pure and it's unblemished, and you make sure when you are going in to worship the Lord that it is a sacrifice that meets the standards of God. But these priests didn't study the scriptures. Too much work. They didn't carefully crawl through the clauses that talked about those various animals, so they took them all in. In fact, we learned from Ezekiel what they were doing. Her priests have done violence to my law. They've profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the profane. They've not taught the difference between unclean and the clean. And they hide their eyes from my Sabbath, and I am profaned among them. These priests didn't care what they offered as a sacrifice to God. And God says, I don't accept this. I don't accept what you're doing. I don't accept it as worship. You know, there are ministers and there are leaders of churches. They don't care what goes on on the platform. They don't care. As long as the crowd's coming. As long as we got the action. We don't care what's going on up there. As long as we're getting the paycheck. That's the way these guys thought. God says, let me see you give that kind of slop offering to a governor. And at this point, it would have been probably a Persian governor. And he says, let's see you give that to a political leader that you know and see how he views it. And you want to give this to God. Now, I want to make an application before we move on in this. God expects his people and he expects his leaders to be in church on Sunday, the first day of the week. It's an expectation of God. We're not into ritualistic legalism here, but it is an expectation of God. He expects his people, he expects his leaders to be in church on Sunday, the first day of the week. He expects his people to take it seriously. He expects his people to present themselves and their offerings on the first day of the week. And the people who take that seriously, and the people who seek to do that, are going to be blessed of the Lord. The church that takes that seriously is going to be a church blessed of the Lord. 
And a church that will be blessed of the Lord will communicate to the people, look, we need to be real serious about the word of God. We need to honor God, reverence God, worship God, bring our offerings to God. That is what we are to do. And a church that will be blessed of God is going to communicate that to the people. These guys weren't doing that. Which brings us to the third charge. These priests couldn't expect to be able to ask God to favor them and bless them. I love what he does in verse 9. But now, will you entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Here are these people. They're bringing slop offerings to God. God says, hey, why don't you offer me up a prayer request, see if I'll answer you. Why don't you entreat the Lord? That's a real interesting Hebrew word, entreat there. It means to soften something. So Malachi says, do you really think that you can have this kind of attitude toward God when you go to worship, and then you can cry out to the Lord, and you'll soften the heart of God so that he'll pour out his favor and blessings and kindness on you when you're treating him so disrespectfully? You think God's going to answer you? When that's the way you're treating him, you don't reverence him? Do you think you can gain the favor of God by doing that? What about, and again, the Persian governor? Would you offer him something better than you would offer the Lord? These leaders are going through all kinds of religious actions, but they couldn't really talk to God and expect that God's going to answer them. They couldn't entreat God for his grace and favor. You can't demean the Lord. You can't think lightly of the Lord. You can't cheat the Lord and then expect God to answer your prayer. Malachi says, do you think you can offer God junk and then expect him to answer your call for his grace? You'll soften his heart and please his heart when you're not even offering him anything? We don't want to get sloppy in the way we think about the Lord. And we don't want to get sloppy in worship because one of the things at stake here is prayer answers. That if we want to see God answer prayer, we have to be real serious about reverencing him, honoring him, worshiping him. And that's the point Malachi is communicating. The fourth charge is the priests don't stop the useless worship. Verse 10, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates. You, you talk about going against the church growth movement. God says, shut it down. I'd be happy if you locked the doors. You shut this whole thing down. I'm convinced that the vast majority of people think that simply by going to some religious place, they're pleasing God. Probably almost all the people who go to different churches probably walk through those doors thinking, boy, we're really pleasing God. God says, don't you realize most of these places that aren't serious about me and my word ought to be shut down? And nobody in Israel, including the priest, had spiritual wits about them to see it or know it. There was not a religious leader in the group that recognized the reality of the fact that they were not right with the Lord. What they were doing was wrong. You had a lot of religious action. You had a lot of religious leaders, but you had no truth. You had no real reverence for the Lord. 
So the first real admonition of the book of Malachi, one of the first admonitions in the book is, you know, it's too bad somebody doesn't shut this temple down. It took years to get it built up. When we went through the book of Haggai, we saw that God said, hey, you've forgotten me. You've forgotten my temple. You need to get it rebuilt. You need to get the timber and the lumber and quit working on your own house and get working on my own temple. Now, about a hundred years later, you're at a point where God says, it's just a shame that this place isn't boarded up and shut down. God does not need anything from us, but I'll tell you, if his people, especially his leaders, are not honoring him and reverencing him and exalting him, their worship means nothing to the Lord. It's unacceptable before God. There's nothing automatically praiseworthy about a church that just opens its doors on Sunday. If that church is not given to carefully and accurately understanding and applying the scriptures... If that church is not given over to reverencing the Lord, it'd be better that the people not go. It'd be better that the doors of that place be closed. That's what God's saying here in Malachi. His fifth charge is the nations have revered my name. I want you to notice verse 11. I want to point out a couple of things. For from the rising of the sun, even to its sitting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place Incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. I want you to notice that three times God refers to his name in that verse. That cannot be a coincidence. I think that certainly would include Trinitarian doctrine, something that has been rejected by the Jews even to this hour and by most of the religions of the world. But I also think this is clearly a prediction to the age of the Gentiles and a prediction concerning New Testament churches that will ultimately culminate when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom that will include Gentiles. But I do believe what God is saying here is since my own people going to my own temple are not interested in honoring me, what is going to happen is there will be nations all over the world that are going to honor me. I'm going to actually see to it that there will be true worship that will take place in places all over the world because my own people in my own temple are not honoring me, so I will see to it there will be places in the nations that will honor me. And that has literally happened. The temple has been shut down, by the way. It's not even in existence tonight. The temple has been shut down, and there are churches They're far and few between, but there are churches all over the world that are serious about the word of God, and they're serious about reverent worship. And this is exactly what God has, in fact, done in the course of history. And there are many passages of Scripture that make it clear that nations will worship God, and right now, it's Gentile nations who have a better perspective of true worship of what God is than people in Israel who had the temple, who had the presence of God, and it has come to fruition. I think one of the saddest things one will ever see are heathen people from heathen backgrounds who have a better grasp on the greatness of God than God's own people. Israel's leaders have not led Israel to worship God. Israel's leaders led Israel to kill Jesus Christ. They don't honor the Lord. 
They certainly don't honor the Trinity. They don't even believe in the Trinity, most of them. But there are those nations all over the world who've come to faith in the Lord and those Gentiles, as Paul took the gospel to them, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ have become bastions, as it were, for true worship. Because God basically said, I'm shutting that down. The sixth charge is these priests have profaned God's name. Verse 12 says, but you're profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. The idea of profaning someone's name is the idea of doing something shameful and degrading to the name of someone. And God basically says, when you don't bring me your best, when you don't bring me your best, you're profaning my name. You're degrading me. You know, there are people who will spend thousands and thousands of dollars a year on themselves. And they'll give God a few leftovers. There are people who will spend hundreds, even thousands of dollars on gifts for their family and on themselves, and then they'll give God a few bucks. God said, I'm not interested in your slop offerings. If that's the way you think about me, that's what he's saying in this text, you need to understand something. I don't accept it. You're profaning me. And it's not about the percentage. It's about the sacrifice. God wanted these people to sacrifice an animal that was important and precious to them. He wanted them to sacrificially give this, not bring them some animal that they didn't want or couldn't use. He wanted them to give him the best that they had. And they weren't doing it. They didn't even reverence God enough to do that. God said, you've profaned my name. The seventh charge is the priest considered worship to be a burden. Verse 13, you also say, my, how tiresome it is. These priests just saw everything as a big chore. Now, what they had the responsibility to do was to carefully study the word of God, analyze the sacrifices, make sure that the sacrifices that were being offered were meeting the codes that God had established in his word, and it was a weight to do that. It is a burden. And I just want to talk about that for a minute. To be a minister that tries to take your responsibility seriously is a huge weight. It is a huge weight. It is a burden. It's a great privilege, but it is a burden. If you are going to prepare a meal worthy of a flock coming to eat every single week, it takes prayer and it takes hours of preparation. I'm not complaining about this. I'm giving you truth. It's fatiguing. You go to bed Sunday night and you get up on Monday and you say, we got to do this all over again. We got to climb this mountain again. And we've got to go through this week in and week out. But what was happening here is these guys weren't even doing the job they were supposed to do. And they're complaining about the fact, oh boy, it's just, uh, it's an overload. It's an overload. It's wearisome. Well, what are you doing? You aren't studying the scriptures to feed the people the truth because they're bringing slop offerings. If you'd have been studying the word of God, you wouldn't let that happen. What exactly are you doing? 
What these guys were doing is just making up excuses. These priests were earning a good paycheck with these offerings. I mean, they're taking in the money. They're getting the food. Their heart wasn't given to carefully studying the scriptures. And they're telling people how tough it was and how tiresome it was and how weary it was. Look, the moment we're involved in any work for the Lord and our heart's not in it, that's the moment we are involved in religious robbery and evil. If the heart isn't in it, it's not right. It's not right. And that's what you had happening here. You had mechanical things going on in religion, but their hearts weren't right. The eighth charge is the priests turn their noses against worship. Look at verse 13. You disdainfully sniff at it. Sniff at what? What are you turning your nose up to? The word of God. The word of God that told you how you were supposed to handle these offerings. Every leader, every minister, and every person who goes to church needs to be on the lookout for a cold heart where they turn their noses up to the Word of God. If we ever find ourselves turning our noses up against the Word of God and will of God, we're on a path of decay. God will stop convicting us. God will stop using us. God has given us everything, and to become cold-hearted against God and his word is the ultimate sign of a shipwrecked spirituality. And you know, there can be in the world of religion people who, there's an arrogance about them. I'm not talking leaders. There can be leaders. There's an arrogance about them. They turn their noses up like they've almost arrived at some level. Well, I don't need to understand the scriptures. We don't need to accurately understand the scriptures. We're beyond that. There's almost an arrogance to some of these people, and that's dangerous. Because that's exactly what happened here. The ninth charge is the priests bring offerings that are degrading. Verse 13 says, And you bring what is taken by robbery, what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? I mean, these people were bringing offerings that were just, you know, let's throw this in here. We don't need it. We can't use it. The animal's no good to us. Let's give that to God. Let's give the junk to God. Not think in terms of, you know what? Let's live at a sacrificial level and give what we can at the cutting edge of sacrifice to the Lord. He deserves it. Not thinking like that. Not let's give him our best. Let's just give him what we have. And finally, the priests present offerings that have been swindled by negated vows. Verse 14 is fascinating. What you have described here is a guy who goes in before people and before the ministers, and he makes a big vow. And he promises in front of all the people that he's vowing this, and he's selected this male from his flock, and he's going to give it to the Lord, and he's really going to live a top-notch life for the Lord. And then he ends up bringing God a blemished animal, which basically then says, this was just a big sham show. When you got a guy in a religious setting, he goes in before the 
leaders, whoever he is, and he goes in before the people, and I mean, he parades himself like he's going to really do something big for God. And then he brings God a blemished animal, which is actually robbing God of what he deserves, and he's just putting on a show for people. That's what can happen in God's people. Just becomes a show. It's not reality. Ananias and Sapphira did the same thing. Remember that story, Acts chapter 5? I mean, they sold some land. They said, we're going to give that all to the church. Boy, we're going to give it to the apostles of the church. And then they said, hey, uh, let's just keep, we'll give a good percentage of it, but we'll keep some for ourselves. And God said, you're dead. They both dropped dead. You can read that in Acts chapter 5. What this text says to anyone in any dispensation is when God's people go to worship, they better think very seriously about worship. Because church is not about us. It's about God. And when we give our offerings, and when we present ourselves to the Lord, we need to think in these terms because it is serious, sacred business. The moment we don't think like that, That's the moment we're falling into the trap of these people that stop God from speaking for the next 450 years. So when you come to the next worship service, you just come thinking this way. I'm giving myself and my offering to the Lord, who's the supreme ruler in charge of all. I am giving myself and my offering to the great king who's sovereign ruler over all. I'm giving myself and my offering to the Lord of hosts, the covenant God who's over all the armies in heaven and on earth. And I'm giving my offering and myself to God whose name is to be feared among all the nations. But I'll tell you right now, in light of this passage of scripture, it is possible for people to go to church It's possible for leaders to go to church. It's possible for ministers to go to church and put on a show. It's a show motive. It's not a spiritual motive. But a text like this says to all of us, God looks at the hearts. God sees the reality. And he is enraged by those who pretend to honor him and really don't. And I think we are nearing the rapture of the church. So if you've ever thought about offering acceptable worship to the Lord, now's the time to get after it. Now's the time to do your own personal private business with the Lord. And if we take the position that I'm going to worship God, I'm going to reverence him, fear him, live sacrificially for him, give sacrificially to him. God takes notice of that. He'll bless his people. That's what he communicated in this text of Malachi. Well, our time is way long gone. I want to thank you for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.